1: Today, we're sitting down with Ted Church, the CEO at Anthem Branding, who serves high-profile customers such as Google, Lululemon, and MTV. What's it like to work with the customers that everyone wants to work with? Here's Ted from our SKUCon in Vegas in January. And
2: we never say no. I mean, we have so many times, we're talking about getting out of your comfort zone. I can't tell you how many times I've been gotten out of a meeting or gotten off a phone call and been like, how the hell are we going to pull that off? We'll figure it out. And that's when the growth happens because then we have to get really creative. We have to go out and source something. And there's been endless times I've, you know, run around China, run around uh, different parts of Asia to try to find these sources and all over the U.S. as well um, to be able to execute on the types of ideas we want. And many of our clients, you know, they're, these, they're big, well-known brands. Everybody wants to work with them. So we need to set ourselves apart to be able to walk in the door and not just offer them the same thing that everybody else is offering them.
1: Ted will be leading a workshop at our business boot camp, camp Camp, October 1st through the 3rd in Palm Springs, California. Ted's workshop is how to build authentic brand experiences for lasting connections. You can find out more at skewcamp.com. For today's episode, Ted joins us from his beautiful headquarters in Boulder, Colorado, and you're tuning into a conversation between Ted and Mark Graham at just the point where we begin to hear about the rise of Ted's company, Anthem Branding.
0: We're now at uh, the end of college, and you're the star salesperson for this other distributor. Um, that other distributor was not Anthem Branding. So tell me how you went from working as a salesperson to then starting your own business um, for for Anthem.
2: Sure. Uh... So I, as I said, I ran, I helped run that business for about 13 years. Um, and, you know, we, I was the majority at the, ultimately at the end of, of the day, I was, I was the majority of the, of the sales revenue for that, for that group. And, um, and there was just a bunch of, there was a bunch of things I wanted to implement from a business standpoint, um, separate from selling. Um, from a best practices processes systems that that my partner just wasn't interested in at the time we we just you know like partnerships are difficult they can be difficult they can be great um, and I'm in a great partnership now but we um, we sort of grew apart and uh, you know we kind of joke that partnerships are are like a marriage um, you're intimately involved emotionally and financially and Sort of all of those things and so we we ultimately we just wanted different things out of the business and um, and I really wanted to take the business in a, in a different direction and there was a lot of things that I wanted to achieve and implement in building a culture and running a business a certain way um, that that my old partner wasn't interested in in doing and as I mentioned we just had different approaches to the to the business so you know we decided to part ways and I Started Anthem branding, and that was uh, a little over 10 years ago. W- was that a difficult time for you? Yeah, that was definitely a challenging time. This was in 2006. Economy wasn't great, um, and it was a bit of a leap of faith. At the time, I was 33 years old. I had two young kids at home, you know, living in Boulder. I had a mortgage. There was no, um, you know, there was, you know, it was a tightrope. There was no, there was no fallback. It was kind of, uh, you know, all in and, um, and there was no, um, it was a bit of a leap of faith. There was no, there was no backup plan and there, and there certainly were, you know, there wasn't a bunch of money in the bank where I could hope, hope that it works over the next year or two. It was, I needed to make it work immediately. Um, so we agreed to part ways it was, uh, you know, it's never easy to leave a partnership, but I think we both agreed that it was, for the best for both of us and both of our situations and so I you know started anthem out of my art studio off my garage and um, and hit the ground running and I was fortunate in the fact that I'd been in the industry for over a decade I was 13 years at that point, and I had a bunch of client relationships and um, and most of those relationships um, you know really enjoyed working with me and 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 were you know, more than happy to continue working with me. So I, I, I was able to hit the ground running and really focus on, you know, building a culture and a brand that I wanted um, um, and focus on sort of all of those best practices and systems that I was really interested in, in implementing. Uh, and then I was fortunate to, you know, ha- a handful of months after I started Anthem to. Uh, get introduced to my current business partner, who was looking to do something different than what he was in a in a corporate environment. And he was he had a, a background in um, nonprofit uh, development director roles, um, raising money for, for nonprofits. Had a bunch of connections in various industries and was looking to sort of control his own destiny as well. And some mutual friends introduced us, and we. We had a bit of a courtship, so to speak, and, and realized we both had um, you know, very similar sort of drive and values and our sort of, he had young children, he had similar goals in mind, and, and, um, but he had a bunch of strengths that, that I didn't have and I had a bunch of strengths that he didn't have, so we were a pretty formidable team and we decided let's, let's go all in and do this together and build something special, And that's so we started that journey know over a decade ago and and so far it's been it's been great
1: ted but take going back a little bit to 1992 93 somewhere around there is that when you joined the distributorship
2: yep exactly 93
1: 93. so you have created a very unique value proposition with anthem it's uh, and we'll get into that and let you get into that in a minute during those years you surely were on the anvil in terms of uh, learning what it is you you liked in terms of the business that you were going to to do and 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 create, what was it about those early years that you learned that I'm going to someday build a creative branding agency? I mean, was that always a part of the dream or somewhere along the way did you go, okay, I'm waking up to something brand new that really excites me here?
2: Yeah, you know, it wasn't something that um, I had a master plan that, um, like, you know, that I had that I was really working towards. It was it. It, it certainly evolved. Um, like I said at the beginning of working with that that distributor, it was all about just you know enjoying the people I was working with and solving a need for the client and making beer money during college and just you know having a good time. Um, but what evolved out of that is when when I started doing work for MTV and Clear Channel and Vail and some of these bigger companies. And you start looking at the options that are available in the industry, um, and, you know, it's the same sort of product that anybody can get their hands on. And when, when you've got clients that are saying to you, you know, hey, this, you just gave me this deck of ideas, and I'm not really interested in any of them. They're kind of boring. I've seen it. I went to a trade show, and everybody had the same giveaway with just a different logo slapped on it. You know, let's you really can't walk into Burton or MTV with the same thing. You've got yeah, to right. you come with, you know, better energy, better passion and some good ideas. And so I started looking at, you know, I've always been a fan of, of fashion and music and, and action sports and following different trends in those industries and paying attention to the details. So I started offering things that I was seeing in, in retail and figuring out a way to go get it made. And sometimes it was within the industry and sometimes it was outside of the industry, but it was a lot of, um, sort of thinking outside the box and hustling and sort of presenting different ideas and, and, and presenting myself as, you know, Hey, I, am your target demographic. I started going after clientele that I related to, Mm. um, and could speak to sort of as a, as someone that was living that brand's uh, ethos, so to speak. And, and that sort of resonating with those, those particular companies. And that's kind of how it, it sort of evolved. And then when I was in that, that particular distributorship, there was things that we just weren't able to do or find. Um, and there was an approach that I wanted to take um, from a creative perspective that we just weren't able to execute. And then there was an internal culture um, that I just wanted to evolve. Um, and some of that goes back to what you guys were talking about with being a natural salesperson and, and the industry being sort of full, full of salespeople. And one of the things that, that when we started Anthem that we were very, um, aware of and what we the culture we wanted to change was that salesperson mentality of every man for himself or every woman for herself uh, mentality of, I don't care about what you're working on. These are my clients. I need to get this done for my clients. And it was all about me, me, me. And we wanted to make it more about the team and a team effort um, and less about um, the traditional like commission splits and like commission sales because that doesn't breed a healthy team environment. Um, and that's why, you know, people are jumping ship to go. With their client list to other companies, and we didn't. We wanted to make it more about the team and and create more of an agency experience.
1: Hmm. It sounds like clients were pulling you in that <laughs> direction as well. Not, but there was also this convergence, like you were this um, salesperson, but with a very creative bent and an artistic bent. You even mentioned art studio. Are you an artist?
2: I'm not. I'm not a formally trained designer, but I've I certainly have a design eye and and right. and I. You kind of curate and understand what what's trending, and certainly appreciate, um, you know, a, a great design. Yeah, and, I love uh,
1: the I love the uh, convergence, though, of your personal passion with the clients sort of pulling you. They didn't have to pull you hard because it sounds like it sounds like you were you were ready to go in that direction, anyways. Uh, one of the things that I was really encouraged by when, in your Skucon um, session was when you said. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten out of a meeting and said, "How the hell are we going to pull that off?" Um, do you recall the first uh, experiences that were like that, where you thought, "We've got to find what," and and it was so <laughs> custom. And you've done some amazing campaigns. Um, we're taxing our memory here, but do you do you recall those early days where you? I mean, because it sounds like that's common practice now.
2: Yeah, you know, we're. It's certainly my personality type to. Um, you know, I love the big idea. I love brainstorming. I love a challenge. Uh, and we as a team certainly like that as well. Um, you know, I think for me, there's just, there is no, no is just, you know, the, the first step to kind of get into yes. And, and ultimately, you know, there is a strategic approach to all this, not everything that somebody wants is, can you execute, but there, we never take anything at face value and we, we try to make it a, an iterative and sort of a back and forth and a collaborative experience and you know we certainly have clients that are prescriptive with this is what we need and Mm -hmm. go find it um but we like to get involved early on the on the projects to really be able to help inform sort of the best solution but um yeah i mean there's certainly times where you get out of a meeting and they ask for something crazy and you say all right well we'll, yeah we can figure something out and then we kind of leave and say all right how are we going to do that um A good example that just comes to mind from back in the day, like just early days, is MTV was launching um, their, a new uh, MTVU for their university channel. And they really wanted to reach college kids. And we kind of went back and forth and brainstormed some ideas on how to launch the channel and make it really fun. And And so we came up collectively with this idea of let's do 100,000 bags of ramen, because every college student eats ramen. and The idea was, all right, well, how are we gonna execute that? Because I guess we could go call some ramen shops and, you know, some ramen people that pack it and can we get them made? And then we're like, well, wait a minute, then we started digging into it. We're like, Yeah, that'll be easy. We start digging into and we're like, Okay, well there's FDA issues, there's all these things, then then you've got to deal with all the insurance issues. And they're like, How are we gonna figure that out? And so what we ultimately came down to we brainstormed all kinds of solutions but what we ultimately came down to was let's just repackage over the top of an existing package we can buy it in bulk and then we don't have to deal with the FDA and we can make it fun and when you actually tear out tear open the the outer package then you've got all the instructions and the FDA and then nutritional facts and all that so we were able to kind of get clever with the approach but that stemmed from just not saying no and um and it was a successful campaign and it was a good solution. And, and, you know, we only had a couple of weeks to figure it out, but you know, that's the type of thing where it's easy for someone if it's outside of their comfort zone or their wheelhouse to just say no. And, um, and we never approach it that way. There's always a solution or there's always, uh, another creative approach or it's going to spark another idea. That's going to, that's going to be great. So that's one that just comes to mind.
0: (laughs) Ted, um, Tell me a little bit about your competition. Who do you feel is your biggest competitive threat? Um, I, I don't need to know specific company names, but just yeah. like who, who are the people? Uh, who, who is the the person coming after you when you walk out of Burton and MTV sure. that is pitching a similar service or product?
2: You know, we we don't really think about competition that way. We we definitely take a, a, an abundance approach and not a scarcity approach to this industry there's so much opportunity out there there's a there is a niche and a and a place to play for every single company out there and ultimately a lot of a lot of the game comes down to great relationships and being someone of your word and executing and always sort of being a reliable uh, partner for for your clients. So from that perspective, you know, you could all you could argue anybody and everyone is a competitor. But as we as we continue to grow and evolve our business, one of the things that we're really focused on is we are not the right fit for everyone, and not every client's the right fit for us. And what got us here is not going to get us to the next level. And as we were growing our business. Um, you know you would take every opportunity and look at it pretty closely and try to try to figure out a solution for every opportunity that walked through the door or somebody that was referred to or somebody you went after and engage with and as certainly as we've continued to evolve our business, we recognize that you know that is not the most strategic approach that we should be taking and and there are certain types of clients that are better fits for us than others, but I think when we think about competition, we think more about it's really about us internally just being the, the best, so figuring out strategically who the best clients are and how we can solve their needs. And, um, you know, and there's always gonna be a young sort of hustler out there who's um, following trends and won't take no for an answer and thinks outside the box. And, and you know, they may walk into a client at the perfect time and, and get an opportunity with them. But, you know, for us, we're thinking 10 steps ahead of the next person. If somebody's, you know, following our lead and looking at our website or, or following our social media and trying to emulate what we're doing or trying to go onto our LinkedIn and link in with our connections, it's like, we're already five steps ahead. We're not gonna worry about that person. And, um, you know, we're just focused on kind of what we do well. So that's kind of how we feel like we take competition out of it. Yeah. Um, and and th- the biggest part for us is you, you just can't fake good creative And we're not trying to play in that space of um, promotional products um, distributor where we're trying to out nickel and dime the next person Because you know, I mean, you guys know as well as I do that if you need a whatever promotional product you need, say it's a coffee mug, you could call 10 different distributors and look online and get it. You know, everybody is going to be cheaper than the next person and drive that margin down to basically just a, a lost leader, and it, that's not the, the game we want to play or the space we want to want to be in. And we don't add any value doing that. Hmm.
1: So how do you, and you, with your team, Ted, uh, The miss may be a little too micro, but how do you replicate that success? And really, you obviously have done that very well, um, because you're, in a sense, you're transferring a large part of your personal DNA to other folks in the organization. And they're catching this, and they're getting inspired, obviously, by your growth. How do you, how did you replicate that passion and develop a team?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that goes back to when we started Anthem, you know, and and my, my business partner and I were really kind of wearing all the hats. You know, we had, we were managing all the client relationships and going and attracting the new business and getting repeat and referral business and, and then going and sort of working and figuring out the solutions and sort of taking care of all of the client client needs. And then we had you know, we had a designer and we had a production person to help. Um, but we realized we needed to evolve that if we wanted to, to, to grow the business. And so we brought in, um, our first sort of, um, account assistants, um, account coordinators to help us. And we started, you know, they were, they were involved in every communication and we talked through, um, client solutions and, you know, there's a pretty steep learning curve in this industry um, to to go through. You, you can learn the mechanics of sourcing products and finding solutions, but to go through every type of experience where, you know, from the acts of God to um, just the crazy sort of Murphy's law that happens um, to th- being able to see, you know, three, four steps ahead and anticipate things, um, that's a that's a pretty long learning curve. And so... What we started to realize, and this goes back to not wanting to have sort of commissioned salespeople, was nobody can sell this business and sell the solution that Anthem provides to its clients better than my business partner and I. Um, And so what we needed then was help in sort of the execution of all of those things that we, all those solutions that we're providing for clients. So we started slowly building these account teams out to manage those client relationships and really take care of them and and got away from any sort of commission sales and went into the um, more of the team approach because it really does take a full team you know you've got your account mm-hmm. teams need to manage the the client's expectations and provide really good solutions our design team needs to execute on the design really well we don't rely on distributors to do our design work we do it all ourselves and that allows us to be more creative and offer solutions that are different than what you can get when a distributor is only has access to, you know, their particular item. Yeah. Um, and then it takes our production team to to execute and get it delivered ultimately. So, so it does take a full team effort to get it done. Um, and so by building these teams out and then sort of building a really great sort of customer service centric culture and really working on sort of like, the, the values of, of what we bring to the table every day as a team and, you know, sort of the purpose of our agency, of what we're trying to achieve for our clients. Um, you know, all of that sort of, that doesn't happen overnight. That's a, you know, that happens every day and at every level and every interaction. And that's, that's how we've sort of, you know, put our DNA on, on this and how we try to lead um, the agency.
0: Ted, do you think that with the model that you've created right now, that you're able to scale and grow the company without uh, hiring a proportionately um, equal number of staff members in order to help you get to that growth?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. We've spent probably the last three to four years really focused on bringing in the right team to learn, um, you know, to to, to be dialed in in all areas of the business from our design team to our account teams and production teams and partners and all of those things um, and focused on our process and our system to be able to scale, to get to the next level to where we ultimately feel like we could really double the revenue of our business and not have to add many, many more people just because of the system and the process that we've built. Um, So we've really paid a lot of attention to, like I mentioned, all of those processes and those systems to be able to take the business to the next level without having to reinvent the wheel, scramble, um, and sort of, um, you know, run around with your, like a chicken with your, with your head cut off, trying to figure it all out. It's been very methodical where we really feel like we can grow this thing. Um, with the team we have in place and being really strategic in the types of clientele we bring in and that we work with and the solutions we provide. So yeah, we're really, we feel really excited about the opportunities and there's, you know, like I said earlier, there, we're all about abundance. There's so much opportunity out there. And, and, and I'm reminded of that every time I get in front of a new client or somebody um, is referred to us and we, and we, have a conversation and it's always inevitably where have you been thank god we found you this is exactly what we've been looking for
0: Hmm. yeah that's amazing so i i mean that's uh and to build upon that what do the next five or ten years look like for anthem are you are you looking to be a hundred million dollar company with offices around the world or are are you looking at a certain Sales level at which point you would prefer to to not exceed because it may fundamentally change what it is that you and your partner have created.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think 100 million is a little extreme. Although I think Grant Cardone would subscribe to that with his 10x philosophy. But um, <laughs> but you know we want to continue to develop our agency culture and we want to attract the best talent and really provide our team with a rewarding sort of growth oriented agency experience. I mean that's really important to to my, my business partner, Pete and I, um, we want to continue to create amazing results and, and custom solutions for our clients and, you know, ultimately be recognized as a leader in the industry. And we want to develop incredible global partnerships with our global partners that help us um, execute. You know, we promise the world and we, we rely on really great partners to deliver, deliver on that. Um, we want to work with, you know, forward thinking brands who appreciate the, um, the approach that we take to to the industry, appreciate great design and execution of products. So, you know, I, I don't see, we don't really want to get past, you know, 50 people. Um, we don't really see wanting to do that. That's what kind of changes the game from a lot of, uh, a lot of what I've heard from talking to people that run much, much bigger agencies that, uh, it's kind of a whole nother set of, of, of issues that come with that. And we really love the intimacy of the team that we do have and the work that we get to do. And, um, and, uh, you know, most importantly, you know, the reason why we get to, we love what we do is just being able to help our clients kind of achieve all of their goals and make them look like rock stars. And and they're really excited about the, uh, the process. It's not a necessary evil, like say insurance. They get really excited about promoting their, their business Mm -hmm. or their product and, um, or their events. And so we love that, that piece of it. And that's really what gets us out of bed every day. And the reason of, of what we do, you know, it's all about connecting, you know, business and people and ideas and creative thinking and, so, yeah, yeah, we love it.
0: I'll, I'll ask one more and then I'll turn it over to Bobby. I know he's got some design questions here. Um, would you sell?
2: Would we sell? Uh, yeah. You know, I guess the, you're always open, right? You know, you never say no to anything. Um, if it was the, you know, if if all the circumstances were right and for all of the right reasons, sure, we may we would be open to considering that. We don't have... Uh, that's not in our immediate future. Um, we're really focused, like I said, on our current team and providing, like, an amazing experience and, and same thing with our with our existing clients. But, you know, if somebody came by with the right offers, you know, we'd certainly have to entertain it as any uh, smart business person would. Yeah. You, How's that for a diplomatic answer? That was good. That was, that was, very, that was good. That yeah. very
1: diplomatic. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good answer, though. It's true. You've developed a really strong eye for design. Um can you tell us about your influences? How do you how do you develop that? Let's say you're talking to a young entrepreneur and there were folks that responded this way, by the way, in the private comments through Skewcon, were, oh, my gosh, I want to be Ted Church. And and so <laughs> there, were, there were a lot of folks like that. How do you develop your design eye and who are your influences?
2: Um you know, for me, I've just always paid attention to those design details. Um, it's just something that's always interested me. Um, and I'm inspired, you know, I get inspiration personally from, I'm certainly inspired by our team, um, and different, the skills and especially our design team. And they, everybody brings such a unique aesthetic to, to, to the team and, and, and we share sort of where all of those influences come from and and um so i enjoy looking at the at the different blogs and sites that they they recommend um you know i get inspiration personally from um various lifestyle brands that i just appreciate their design aesthetic um Mm -hmm. you know i look at sort of what the trends are happening and say like an urban outfitters all the way to you know an asos or you know like a super dry or Um, or even, you know, I, I love to travel. My wife and I are pretty passionate about traveling and, and traveling with our kids. And, and so whenever we go anywhere, I'd love to kind of just get a feel for what people are, are wearing, um, and, and sort of the trends of the types of bags they're, they're carrying and the fashions that they've got. Um, certainly social media and, um, music, fashion, those sorts of things uh you know we also we also have really forward-thinking clients who you know are on the bleeding edge of fashion and seeing kind of where they're getting their inspiration with with pinterest and instagram and those those sorts of things and then how that can then sort of translate to a little more towards the middle that people would appreciate but it's still a little cutting edge obviously what's trending now in i don't know tokyo for example is not going to be the right fit for a client maybe in Middle America, um, but there certainly can be some some nods to things that that might influence it. So, um, and then I get personally a ton of influence from you know I'm I'm kind of always onboarding content from books to podcasts. Um, you know I'm, I'm influenced by guys like Jay Abraham and Chase Jarvis and Lewis Howes and Tim Ferriss, sort of these thinkers that that kind of deconstruct really talented people and and i always pick up a little bit from them so for me it's just always paying attention to i don't there's not one source i go to it's really just sort of focusing on keeping my my eyes open to to what's out there but i i'm constantly looking at little details and then coming back to the team and like oh we should add this to Mm -hmm our custom hat we should add yeah. this type of sticker we should add this type of of roping to between the crown and the and the bill like those sorts of things and always trying to experiment with those little like sort of surprise and delight touches so i yeah. i'm always you know if i go to new york city i'll pop into retailers and in soho and just look for those little touches that we kind of bring to cool. our product
1: that's cool there was one there was one statement your your is um there's a quote, um, eventually everything connects people, ideas, objects, the quality of the connections is the key to the quality. Can you comment on that?
2: Yeah. I, let me tell you a story about how this came about. Um, and this is, this is sort of how, you know, it's all one degree in in some sort and kind of how my, our world works here. So we we moved, let's see, we, our first office in Boulder, we were there for about, as Anthem Branding, we were there for about two years. And then we moved, we needed to move to a bigger space. So we found, we found a space that was um, very, uh, kind of had a mid-century vibe to it. And so we, we remodeled it, we were able to gut it, and we, we kind of finished it in this, in this very mid-century modern look. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we were, we had a lot of late nights the first couple of years of, of the business, and so there was a, there was one night where we had these. Um, the building looked really cool at night when it was lit up, and we had these really nice um, Nelson bubble lamps that were sus- suspended from the ceiling. So my partner's in uh, at his desk one night, and it was probably you know one in the morning, and um, and I had gone. He was the only one in the office, and. We had a little beep at the door when, when the door opened. So he's kind of in his back office. It's a really really cool open studio space. That he hears the, the door beep and he, he kind of says, hello, hello, who's out there? He doesn't see anyone. So he kind of comes out from behind his desk and he sees a woman kind of walking out in our parking lot. So he opens the door and goes, hey, excuse me, can I help you? And she said, hey, I've been walking by your building for a couple of weeks and I just really admire the space and my family works for the Eames family. And I just, am a huge fan of, of uh, mid-century modern. And I just wanted to kind of p- peek my head in and, and just appreciate the space. So the next day she, br- and so we had just moved into the space and kind of finished it. And we had this back wall behind our creative director that was a, a blank white space. And we were just, we had talked about what should we put on that? Should we, should we do a big stretch? you know, Aspen Grove? Should we have a really cool print? Should we put a saying up there? And we were like, we'll just wait for the inspiration to hit. So the next day, this woman comes back and she brings us a book and a, a, a called A Hundred Quotes by Charles Eames. So we, we, we start leafing through it. And the second quote is eventually everything connects. People, ideas, objects. The quality of the connection is the key to the quality. And we're like that's it that is exactly what we do here and we put the we put that on our back wall and then out of that sort of came we shortened the saying to be eventually everything connects and you'll find that in sort of all of our custom anthem apparel that we build for our own collections um in all the taping of our hats and all of the the labels and and it just neatly sum sum, sums up the uh the approach we take to the business and so I, I love telling that story because it, it was just one of those things where we were waiting for the inspiration to hit and it walked it right through our front door.
1: It's a great story.
0: That is an awesome story. And I, am going to ask, I'll ask one more, Ted, I could, we could go on all day yeah. here, but we want to respect your time. Um, so here, here's my last question for you. If, if, I was to go into your office uh, or into your office building and interview one of your employees and I was to ask them, can you tell me what Ted is like as a leader? Honestly, tell me what he's like as a leader. You know, the answer will be kept confidential. You know, uh, Ted's not going to find out if it's good or bad. What do you think? How do you think they would describe you as a leader?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I th- I would hope that they would um, describe me as being incredibly approachable, um, open to new ideas, uh, pretty energetic, supportive, um, definitely collaborative. Um, you know, I lo- I'm probably not so good at all the minute details. I'm more of a big picture idea guy I get really excited about about those sort of ideas and, um, but I think being very supportive, um, someone they can always feel, feel very comfortable bringing anything, uh, anything up and, and addressing those needs. And then someone who, you know, says, we'll, we'll do what he says and, and sort of, you can take him, you know, you take me at my word and get it done. So. I at least that's what I hope they would say. <laughs> cool. The only other thing I was thinking, maybe we, if you guys feel like we should cover is, which I thought I got a lot of commentary about, um, at the, at the conference was our approach to sort of building our collection, our quarterly collection and mm, the approach yeah. we take on that
1: yes when I sent, pushed it out in social media I said everything you thought you knew about self promotion was wrong um, and, and that was my push about your your program there
2: no I appreciate it I mean I think you know we it's really the best example we, the reason we do it obviously we love doing it and it's it's um, we send those those out to sort of influencers and to to clients and prospective clients but for us it's really the best example that we can share with a client of our approach to the business and our approach to brand as a lifestyle brand and how you know the best example we can give is our own and so we go through and show it as a collection and how it can stand alone um, or it it can work together like I mentioned in a grid on the as a collection, if you put it all on the table, it all tells an, a story and it all makes sense. And I think too many times people in the industry chase the shiny new like sale item, slap a bunch of logos on it and send it out with not a lot of thought behind it. And, and you know, certainly as a self-promotion, it's we feel like it's the wrong approach. But f- from, from a, a brand's perspective and certainly from a client's perspective, it. You know, I think it does a disservice. If that, if you slap your logo on a cheap plastic item that has no rhyme or reason behind it, no authenticity to the, their end user and doesn't engage in any way, mm-hmm. you're, you're, I think you're taking steps backwards. So that's really why the approach that we take on building the collection and, and it does showcase our custom work. And, you know, we really feel like a uh, the right brand can become a lifestyle brand and we show them how to do it. And yeah. um, you can't do that by just slapping uh, a presentation together through Sager ESP and just seeing what sticks and letting the client sort of pick and choose. You've got to really curate the, the experience and you got to understand what the client's trying to do to achieve that.
1: It obviously helps help. push your brand in their minds as a cool brand as its own lifestyle brand. And I would imagine the fringe benefit is for your own team. Uh, it keeps them excited about the merchandise and, and fires them up and sees possibilities too.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, certainly uh, it's fun. We've get, it's a big collaborative experience. We, yeah. we, we get a little bit of everybody involved in it and you know, it's actually this afternoon we're working through our, one of our next collections and, Cool. We, we're introducing some really cool athleisure pieces that are custom. So we've got kind of the extension of the lifestyle. So yeah, it's fun. I mean, the, the challenge, I think for, you know, as I said earlier, you can't fake creative. And so yeah. I think that's, it, that's what sort of compose a challenge, I think, to, to people inside the industry that don't have access to certainly a design talent that we have on our team, but, um, but you've got to figure out a way to to do it, and um, and I think that's I think that's what sets us apart is it's really challenging to do that, and not not everybody can just be like, oh, I'm going to be creative today, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and try to do what they're doing. So, mm-hmm.
0: I, I think Ted, you know, one of the things that really fascinates me about this conversation, and you know, you and I have had this conversation. You know, a few times in our in our phone calls, is that uh, most people in this industry, on the distributor, and I'd say on the supplier side, um, don't have legitimate brands themselves as as companies. Because I think a lot of people in this business, to get back to my comment about this being an industry full of salespeople, is that they would be. Uh, naturally wired to think about their customer and it's the customer's brand they're building. And they're not incorrect in saying that, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it does come down to the customer. But where where I think you've got this fascinating nuance is when you've got this, this smaller subset of distributors and suppliers that have invested an equal amount of energy into creating a brand out of their own company. And some people may say that's self-serving. I completely disagree because I think it's a brilliant way of differentiating yourself. And it's also a brilliant sales strategy because the right clients are going to come to you and say, that stuff you did with your anthem collection is exactly what I want for my for 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 my company. Sure. And so it serves that. And you got people that are walking around wearing your cool hats and your shirts and your hoodies advertising yourselves, which is really at the end of the day, what this business is about. And most distributors that are walking around with a lame ABC promotions on their left chest of a nerdy golf shirt, um, aren't getting that. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, you nailed it right there. I think so many times clients see how we present and they're like, I just want that. We're like, okay, we got you. We know we're going to present a lookbook for you, but, um, but I think what's really rewarding for us is when, you know, you've got someone at a at a really cool brand, I don't know, whether it's Google or an MTV or an Atlantic Records or something, and they're they're saying, "I hey, can you send me another one of your Anthem tees? Can you send me one of your cool bottles, your notebooks, whatever it might be?" Um, and they're they're wearing it and super excited about it, and we're presenting it in a way that it's it's not it doesn't scream Anthem branding. We make it very subtle and and make it a lifestyle piece that they want to wear. And that's, that's ultimately the message. And yeah, I'm not showing up in a press polo with like, you know, ABC promotions, like you said, it's, which is also one of the reasons why we, we didn't name the company as such. We wanted to name it. So it felt like a lifestyle brand. And, um, and that, and that's a really good start. Um, and that just sort of proves the point. So yeah, it's definitely a different approach. I think some of the challenges that salespeople in a distributorship base is they don't have control over building the internal agency brand or like the internal company brand. They're kind of, you know, they gotta, they've gotta go eat what they kill, you know, to survive. Right. Um, Yeah. And the, and sort of the industry itself is set up on this sharing of commissions and um, slapping logos on it and just being as transactional as you can. And because it's becoming the ultimate commodity, if the only thing you have to differentiate yourself, because ultimately we can all get the same product from yep. these different places is price and you're, you can out hustle. And, you know, obviously you're, there's better customer service people than others, but there's not much you can you hang your hat on that's different from the next person. And, yeah. um, and so that's the challenge I think for that people in the industry face.
0: Well, I was having this conversation with, uh, Johnny Earl, probably more famously known as Johnny cupcakes, um, a couple weeks ago on a, on another podcast. And, you know, we, he was scratching his head at, at some of the weird things that happen in the promotional products industry, um, specifically around how salespeople conduct themselves and how they're compensated. And, you know, I, I was reflecting back on how this industry got its start and at the end of the day distributors were literally people that would uh, move product from a supplier to an end user. And hence that's why they have this really boring name distributors because in the, in the old days, that's what it was all about. There was no differentiation other than this was a salesperson who could help you move from uh, from a product from a warehouse to to uh, to a corporation. And I think that in the last, uh, I don't know how much evidence I have or how much empirical evidence I have to support this but I think if you were to look at the last 15 20 years of this industry you you you're seeing more anthem brandings come out there. I mean, you're still in the minority, obviously, but Anthem Branding would have been a really weird company in 1982 in the promotional products industry. Um, there, There wouldn't have been a need for you because there would have been so much money in putting a catalog in front of an end client and you would have made a good amount of money doing that. You can't do that these days. So. Um, I I think that the the marketplace, as you say, is abundant. There's lots and lots of opportunity, but I also think that it's dire days for the people who just transact as opposed to adding value in any meaningful way.
2: I I mean, and you're certainly seeing that with all the consolidation going on with sort of these bigger holding companies that are doing all the back-end work from an administrative standpoint, just buying salespeople effectively, gobbling up these distributorships, and... um, But even, you know, so vanilla, yeah, it's vanilla. But even then, if you're if you're anyone in that industry trying to get into a, you know, it's one thing to walk into your local insurance guy and have a relationship. It's a it's a completely different animal to go walk into Netflix or a big sort of sexy brand as, hey, I'm a promotional products distributor. Do you need promotional products? They're gonna be like, I've got a guy and I get 20 calls a day like lose my number. Yeah. Yeah. you're not going to, In price doesn't really do it for them. So you've got to bring them something else. And like mm-hmm. I said, you can't fake creative. So it's, it's, but that's not the right fit for everyone. There are certainly people that, that are hustlers that can do well in the industry um, selling promotional products and partnering with good suppliers. Um, so, I mean, there's, that's why there still is a, a niche and a place for everyone. Um, So it's not all doom and gloom for sure. Yeah, just finding where you fit and then finding sort of, you know, getting after it with your area of specialty. You know, like I said, I I don't know anything about golf. I haven't sold a golf polo in 12 years.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Well, exactly, and there is a guy out there that's selling, you know, the same amount of business you guys do at Anthem in polo
2: shirts. Killing it. Yeah, exactly, and you know, good for him or her, right? Um, no, it's fun. I always awesome. enjoy, you know, I'm a huge fan of this industry. It's been great to me. You know, this is a, this is a really fun, awesome industry to be part of.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.com dot Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening.